Hello and welcome to Atlantic Conversations. I'm Fanula Sweeney. The Atlantic Fellowship Program works with a diverse community of leaders around the world with a common commitment to fairer, healthier, more inclusive societies. Through its seven programs focused on equity and healthcare, socio-economic equity and racial equity, the Atlantic Fellowships offer those leaders an opportunity to gain new perspectives and new colleagues while strengthening their confidence in their work for change. In each podcast, I'll be speaking to an Atlantic Fellow about their work and ambitions for a more just world. For this series, I travelled to Cape Town to meet up with some of the first Atlantic Fellows for Health Equity South Africa at Takano. Today, I'm joined by Kodwa Mpepo, founding director of the Women and Girls Leadership Foundation. The foundation helps girls and young women to access quality healthcare. I began by asking Kodwa to describe what access to healthcare looked like for young girls and women in the part of South Africa where she works. Access to health, the right to health, is a right that's guaranteed in our constitution since the democracy in 1996. And this is very important for us as South Africans because this is a right that most marginalized communities in South Africa did not have. It was a right that was reserved for particular populations. So the fact that now it's open to everyone in the country, it means that even if you are someone who does not have enough money, you are guaranteed that right to health in the constitution. But now the problem is when it comes to the practicalities, still we have different people accessing health differently. In some communities, especially the communities that I work in, the challenges for girls and young women are the clinics are there, but the clinics are not accessible. One of the major reasons girls and young women always say is the fact that when they go to the clinic, the clinic environment is hostile to them. So if they want to access contraception, for example, family planning, the nurses would say, why do you need this? You are very young. There's still that taboo on young girls being Um, sexually active. What age are we talking about here? We're talking about... 13, 14, we're talking about 16. And does that conflict with the legal age for sexual consent? Yes, yes, it conflicts with the legal age because... What is the legal age for consent? It's 12 for accessing abortion services. In South Africa, we have a law that recognizes that we have a problem of sexual violence, particularly for girls and young women, especially rape. And sometimes they become pregnant because of that, and they may need to access abortion services. It's that recognition that girls get to be raped as young as that and may get pregnant, and they should not get stuck with that pregnancy because the provision of abortion is not there. That constitutional protection, as you see it, is not translated into reality on the ground. It's not, And this is one of the biggest problems we have in this country. If you look at our legal framework, we have very good laws that are progressive. But when it comes to implementation, we still battle with those things. The social norms, Trump legislation, they are so entrenched that as a girl, you are still expected to be a virgin and then have sex when you get married. Even if the law makes provision that, yes, we understand that girls, they are sexually active and they may want to access these services, abortion, family planning, 
And the nurses, the health workers in the clinics are the same people who come from this society. Same societies. Yes. So just because they are nurses, that will not be erased. So there's that conflict in terms of accessing health because of those social norms that you were not supposed to get pregnant, you're not supposed to be sexually active. Girls are also telling us, it's not only the health workers, also other people in the clinic who are coming to access services, they'll say, oh, so-and-so's child, you are here, you know, we'll tell your mother. So how do you begin to bridge that problem that you've identified so well? When we started this work in 2015, 2016, We focus just on schools, having conversations with girls, having conversations with young women out of school. And we realize that if we focus on schools only, we will not make so much impact. It's important to speak to the health workers, the parents, and really engage them. One of the things that really helps us access the clinics is that South Africa is looking at having the national health insurance. And part of that provision is having youth-friendly clinic services. So that is our entry in working with the clinics to say the government is looking into you being friendly to young people. How do we work together to make sure that we get more young people to come to the clinics? So you're painting a picture of a healthcare system that is technically accessible, but when it comes to the reality on the ground, young girls, women don't want to use it because of a fear of stigma. When we say accessible, we always question that. It's available, but is it accessible? So availability does not equal access. The clinics are available, but young people are unable to access the services there because of all these issues. How did you find yourself in this line of work? I'm a child of a teen mom. So as I was growing up, I realized there are challenges that come with being a child of a teen mom. When my mom had me, she had to leave me and go on with her life as if she doesn't have a child. That's the expectation in our society. And who raised because you? Because the family members, the uncles, the aunts. Also looking at the statistics that is coming up in South Africa, especially from 2000 going forward, we have very high rate of unwanted and teen pregnancies. For example, in one of the townships in the municipalities, I work in an urban setting. In one year, there was a thousand teen pregnancies from 620 schools. That then has a knock-on impact, not just on the mother and the child, the family, the wider community, and then the economy. When I started this work, I was focused on pregnancy and the mother and the father. I did not think about the economic part of it. The Tecano Health Equity Program really broadened my mind to say there are other issues that contribute to health. And has that in turn informed or changed your attitude to how you grapple with the problems that you work with every day? Definitely. One of the things that really helped was the fact that the fellows in this cohort were quite diverse. They come from treasury, some were academics. So I was able to speak to some of them to say, tell me, how is the budgeting when it comes to sexual and reproductive health? Academically, what is the research saying? So that really broadened my thinking to say, when I go back to schools, I must also look at what the state is doing, not only in providing clinics, but also what provision is there in terms of making health accessible for not only the young mother and that child. Also, what conversations are we having with young men who are fathers? 
were speaking when you were about to graduate from this fellowship program, as you joined the wider community of Atlantic Fellows and the seven programs of which Takano is one, do you envisage a day when you might be working with other fellows from other health equity programs in Southeast Asia, perhaps, or the United States or elsewhere, that is a tool or a resource that you can harness for the work that you're doing here? We had an opportunity to go to Oxford last year to meet other fellows from other programs. And that's when I realized that actually I can partner with someone doing sexual and reproductive health in Asia. There was someone who was working on campaigns from Europe. And he said, you know what, when you're starting with your campaign, here's my card. I can help you because this is our expertise. So I think this program globally presents that opportunity of activists who would have never met uh, to connect. And I think that is very important, knowing that we're working towards sustainable development goals to say, how do you think you can contribute to us achieving this in your country? You know, those partnerships. And when you talk about achieving in your own country, here in South Africa, what do you think you will now be able to bring to that work on the ground that was different? When I go back, uh, really looking at the connections around sexual and reproductive health, not only focusing on the pregnancy or not getting pregnant. One of the good things that really helped to put that into practice were the projects that we were required to do. So one of my projects looked at breastfeeding. Teen moms breastfeeding their experiences. We hear about breastfeeding for older women, but not necessarily the teen moms. And our understanding of breastfeeding as food security for the child. Do teen mothers tend to breastfeed? No, they don't breastfeed. So there isn't um, that bonding and there isn't that food security. When you're doing your project, you connect with different stakeholders that you did not know before. How do you continue broadening that? Putting the issue at the center, but also say there are connections. Because I think when people in government work, they look at issues in silos. silos. Yes. To say to them, look, these are the connections. How do we continue moving forward using that approach? A final question. What would you like people, other fellows in particular around the world, to know about South Africa and the work you're doing and your hopes? It's not easy working with young people and their parents. But again, there is hope because once you engage them, you see the difference. We must never be overwhelmed with the problems that we are addressing as the fellows. What you do, you may think that it's little, but it's actually a contribution to a bigger thing. Thank you so much indeed for Thank joining you. us. That was Kodwa Mpepel, Atlantic Fellow for Health Equity South Africa at Takano. For more information, you can visit www.atlanticfellows.org. I'm Fanula Sweeney, and you've been listening to the Atlantic Conversations podcast.